This week on Up in the Blue Seats, hear the rest of the interview with Larry Brooks and I as we chat with Rangers legend, Roger Bear. I also talk with another Rangers great and one of their radio voices, the always colorful Pete Stemkowski. All that and more next on Up in the Blue Seats from the New York Post. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to center ice for a special presentation. Welcome to the Up in the Blue Seats podcast, a New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure if you're using Apple, rate the show five stars and write a nice review. New episodes are released Wednesday afternoons. Ron and Larry Brooks finished their chat with Rod Gilbert this week, and Dukes also interviews former Ranger Pete Stemkowski. Speaking of Ron, here he is, the star of the show, number 10, Ron Duguay. Well, hi, everyone. So what's in the news this week? A week's gone by. We're all kind of waiting to see what the NHL is going to do. They're meeting. They're talking. There's some suggestions. But having said that, what's really in the news, what's definite, is that the AHL, the league, the minor league system below the NHL, have decided to cancel their season. So what does that mean to the NHL? Is it possible that the NHL follows suit and cancels their season? I don't believe so. So what's in the news today is what I'm reading today. This is the latest. They've proposed two different options. The first option, which we've heard already, which is 24 teams in the playoffs, and that would include the New York Rangers. The second scenario would be 16 teams in the playoff. No regular season games played, and that would exclude the New York Rangers. Well, of course, we don't like that format. We want 24 teams, have the Rangers, the teams that are close within two to four points, add them all in because to me, 16 teams doesn't seem fair. So we got to believe that they're going to go with 24 teams. Now, as far as of today, my interviews, talk with Rod Gilbert. And when you talk with Rod, he's full of history. And what I wanted to know was more about the 70s, the teams in the 70s, his teammates. They had good teams. Why they didn't win. And he shares that with us and some of the characters on the team. And so the other person that was on that team, who's a good friend of mine, who's Pete Stemkowski, who does the radio for the Rangers. And Pete is a great storyteller. And uh, so I want to ask him what it was like for him when he started in Toronto. And from Toronto, he went to Detroit. So he shared with us being on trains, traveling by train. Then he gets to Detroit and he talks about Gordie Howe. Imagine being on a team with Gordie Howe. There's stories about Gordie Howe. Then, of course, he ends up in New York and, and all the guys in New York because he was in New York for seven seasons. So he talks about those players. So get your popcorn, get nice and relaxed because we got two great interviews coming up with two Ranger greats, Rod Gilbert and Pete Stemkowski. My first guest today played 17 years in the NHL, all with the New York Rangers. He played over a thousand games with over a thousand points, and that earned him a place in the Hockey Hall of Fame and his jersey being retired forever at Madison Square Garden. Welcome, my friend, the very likable fan favorite, Rod Gilbert. Rod, just so you know, Larry Brooksy's on the line right now with us, and uh, I know he's got stuff that he wants to talk to you about. Oh, sure. Larry is a good, we're a long-time friend, Larry. Long time. Long time. And I, and I actually want to ask you something. I, I, don't, I don't think I've ever asked you. Um, the first time I ever saw you play was actually in the 62 playoffs where you get called up against Toronto. And I, and I think you were 20 or 21. And I'm wondering, 
what was the feeling like for you being called up in the middle of a playoffs at, at that age, 20, you're surrounded by veterans. Doug Harvey is, is the coach of the team. Tell me a little bit about what the experience was like playing in the Stanley Cup playoffs at that age with the New York Rangers. Well, the, the first game was quite an experience, I'll tell you that, because what happened is that they had lost the first two games to Toronto. Toronto won the Cup that year. So what happened is that they had a really strong team. So they beat the Rangers the first two games. Then Kenny Schenkel sort of broke his foot, and uh, they, that's when I came up. I was playing in Kitchener because I had broken my back, if, if you recall, and I was doing some rehab, you know, like in uh, Kitchener for the senior farm team of the Rangers. I came into New York, and it was quite impressive. And then I'm on the line with Davey Ballon and uh, Johnny Wilson, and you would have it that I on my first shift, I scored a goal against Johnny Bauer. So now pe- people went crazy. So it's one nothing. At the end of the period, the first period, I snapped another one. You know, my, my patent slap shot that I had. So I beat Bauer again for a 2 nothing lead, and I go in the locker room, and Buzz Patrick is uh, acting as the coach, you know, in the interim. And uh, I said, you, could you pinch me? Come over here. I think I'm dreaming of something here. So that's how it started. The funny thing is every time I tell, uh, I was telling Johnny Bauer, I said, Mr. Bauer, thank you for letting me score my first goal against you, my very first NHL goal. He said, Listen, rookie, I used to let all the rookies score their first goal against me. (laughs) I said, how about the second one, Johnny? He said, no, not that one. I didn't let you score. So, but it was like the fans, the fans were promised that, you know, I had won everything in the OHA, like the most valuable player, the scoring title. They were waiting for me, and then I broke my back. So now it's a year and a half later. It's like I I felt like Moses coming here. (laughs) And so I I delivered, right, the first game. And then we win the second one. I think it was 5-4, and I had a goal and an assist again. So things were going well. I said, I finally found my league. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it was all it was all very very exciting and what a beginning uh, of my career yeah were you so young that there was no pressure or did you, you know was was it simply that you were just there and sort no, of i didn't feel the pressure, pressure larry it was just uh you know it was just uh another game you know like with the, the kitchener we i had played in the in the playoffs over there we went seven games against Ottawa. so this uh you know every game is uh important but uh, you know there, there was you know i felt what i scored those goals I felt that I, I, I found something with the fans there I found a relationship you know what I mean they they, they really love me how is it Rod that that's you're you're a, a Montrealer how is it that you weren't put on the Mon- on the Canadians list how did you get to you and Jean Rattel also but how is it that you were from Montreal and Montreal did not claim you as one of their players well because we went to this private school and John was a boarder at this private school and I was living next to the school so that I went to that school so we didn't play in the parks and recreation so we didn't have to sign any form so we would belong to the Canadian when it when I was 16 I was playing baseball in the summer and uh, I was offered to go to all Ottawa you know because they wanted me to come back and play junior B for this team uh, called in Laval so I said then this guy that played baseball with me says he led the training camp and scoring and because of junior B they were drawing three four 4,000 people, and he was the star, and so they brought him back, and so they, they blocked him. 
So then there's a, a scout called Mr. Prudhomme that formed a league that is called the Laurentian League, and then the Junior B, and then um, you know he knew me from uh, from a, a garage league that I practiced with the old man. So he asked me to play for the Junior B team, and I said, by the way, I know somebody that's probably better than me. He played, I want to play with him. So he, we went to uh, Rattel's house, and and he signed him to a contract for Champagne you know, the Laurentian League. And then I went to Guelph. I said, well, on one condition, I could go to Ottawa, but the Rangers farm team is in Guelph. Send me to Guelph. So they sent me to Guelph, and I, I stuck. <laughs> I mean, it was weird because I didn't speak a word of English, right? And I was lonely at the beginning, but I got used to it. So we're talking with Rangers legend and Hall of Fame, Rod Gilbert, with us in Up in the Blue Seats. So, Rod, I would love to know, because in talks right now with the NHL, they're talking about the upcoming uh, junior draft, which they're hoping to have sometime in June. I would love to know what you went through during that time of getting drafted. What was it like for you? Ronnie, I played like such a long time ago, there was no draft. There was a, there the, each team in the NHL, there was only six teams, right? Until uh, 60, 67, 68. So there was only six teams, and every team had their own uh, farm team and the juniors. So they developed their own players, except Toronto had the Marlies and St. Michael, which uh, they had two teams, and the Canadians had two teams, Peterborough and all Ottawa. And uh, the Rangers had Guelph, and uh, you know where Vic played in St. Catherine? That was Chicago Blackhawks. And then the Bruins had uh, Niagara Falls. Detroit had Hamilton. So there was only, you know, like that. there was no draft. So it's either out of junior, you played for the for the Rangers farm team, or you, you went home. That's it. No draft. I think the draft started with uh, Gilbert Perrault and uh, Dale Talent, possibly. Rod, you had a pleasure of, of playing with uh, Brad Park. And a couple weeks ago, we had uh, an opportunity to talk to Brad, Larry and I. And uh, Larry's been a big supporter of Brad talking and wanting to see Brad's jersey retired, as yours is. And so I guess... I guess I ask you, can you describe to us what it was like to have Brad Park as your teammate? Brad was like the best. I, I would have to say he was the he was the key to our team. You know, like he, he he was like really a general back there. You know, he was like offensive and he was defensive. He hit, he fought. I mean, and what a teammate. You know, we became extremely close friends. And I know I praise Larry for wanting to do that. I talk to Mr. Dolan every every t- a chance that I have to retire his number. But at the time, when Glenn Glenn came in and he says we're retiring Jean Rattel, so I mean I was I wasn't talking Brad up, but then he said we're talk we're doing Jean Rattel. I says to Glenn Sather, I says that's gonna cause a problem if you if you retired put John next to me. What about Vic the gag line? Well. We'll see. So, you know, he went He went right to Dolan, and uh, we got Vic deservedly. So, like, he had his, the three of us. Now we're together up on top there. But the problem is that solved. Like, the beauty of it would be if Brad would join us, because that was some team that uh, uh, the Cat had put together. And we almost won two, three cups, except for a few bad breaks and uh, Rattel breaking his leg. Oh, my God, there was always something happening. And then there was Bobby Orr. Don't 
forget him. Rod, I'm I'm wondering then when when you look back at those years, is there is there all is it all pride or is there is there a little tinge of bittersweetness to it that as good as you were, beloved as you were as as a team, and as tight as you were as as teammates, is there a hole? Do you think when you look back? at that era and do you, you know does it leave you with a with a sort of emptiness or were you guys just so good and you accomplished so much in your career that at this point the pain has just faded away and it's all good you know the beauty of it larry is equipped every year you know we we were sniffing at it we were coming closer and then said well it was all hope and then, you know, Emil Francis is going to add a few more pieces here. And we had everything in place. You know, Jackman was a Hall of Fame. We had Jill Villemur, solid. We had a solid defense. We, you know, we had three lines, four. I mean, we, we had a complete team. I just don't, I just don't really know the end there what happened. Uh, every, every playoffs, we got somebody put the sticks in the wheels and uh, tripped us. But uh, no, I, I don't have an empty feeling. I, I'm really proud of uh, the way that the team was formed and the togetherness of the team. I don't forget, we probably seven, seven or eight years we played together. You know, Sankowski and Bruce McGregor, Teddy Irvine. That was our third line. That's a good line. And then you had Walt Kachuk, which is, should be one of the top center at the time, you know, with Fairburn and Balance. You know what? We had a complete team, but when it comes to the end, the playoffs, you know how hard it is to win this thing. And, you know, I feel it, it's kind of, I don't think that much about it, you know, because I, I'm, I'm grateful for what the Rangers accomplished in those years. But, you know, it would have been nice. It would have been nice to get a cup. Like uh, I see uh, the boys in 94, how popular they are, you know, like Mato and uh, all the people like, uh, that played for the Rangers in 94. They, you know, they won the cup. But uh, I think we deserve uh, one or two at that time. Is there one game that sticks out for you as a highlight? And, and I'll ask you about the game where you scored four goals at the Forum and you set an NHL record that lasted for a while, actually, 16 shots on net. How closely do you remember that game? And is that, would you call that perhaps the greatest game that, of your career? Yeah, the, you know, the irony of that, Larry and Ronnie, and the, the irony is that I was, I had 103 fever in the afternoon, and but I had purchased 15 tickets for my family, <laughs> my mom and dad, my sister, their us. I mean, 15 tickets, and I said, you got to play. I mean, I was so excited when I went to Montreal, you know, because of that. And so I showed, I didn't go to the pregame skate. I was stayed in bed, and then I showed up, uh, you know, just for the warm-up, and I said, let me try it. And then I warmed up, and then all of a sudden, things fell in place. I mean, with playing with Rattel and Hadfield and Brad, I mean, there was a lot of opportunities. We were pretty offensive. But I had 16 shots that game, which, uh, I, you know, it wasn't that accurate, obviously. I mean, <laughs> Rogi Vachon was in the net. And, yeah, I would I would have to say that's one of the most memorable games uh, because of those reasons. And it was in Montreal, and uh, I'm a Montreal kid, so, of course, it was very, very exciting at the time. Rob, when I'm thinking of now, today, I see you at the Garden a lot. What does it 
mean to you with all these years that have gone by? Your jersey's retired. What does it mean to you to go to Madison Square Garden and interacting with Ranger fans? Well, they're my they're my family, the Ranger fans. You know that. I mean, I, I came here my first game. I was 18 years old, and and then I came back. I was like 21, you know, after my injuries, and then uh, I stayed on. And uh, the fact that. I stayed in the summer and and got involved with the. Uh, I'm like you, Ronnie. I discovered that the, the Broadway plays were exciting and and the Spindle Top restaurant. So what happened is that Camilla had a, a hockey school and then uh, Harry Howell and I we conducted the. Uh, we were the instructors, so the parents of the kids used to invite me to play golf at Wingfoot. They invite me to a Broadway play. They invite me to a restaurant, like a really exclusive. I said, "Wow, I found my town." <laughs> so I had a relationship because I stayed here during the summers. And then Brad Park and I had a, a, a hockey camp in New Hyde Park. You know, like the funny story is Jim Dolan came to me when he bought the garden. I think in 95, and he said, uh, I have a bone to pick you, Roger, there. I says, what's that? He says, well, I was at your hockey camp when I was 12 years old, and you, you kicked my butt. He says, I have a bone to pick you. I says, are you sure it wasn't me? It wasn't Brad? So yeah. I said, you must have been a bad kid. He says, who told you to do that? My mom? That was so funny. So, you know, like I, I touch a lot of lives in New York. You know, like I, oh, they, there were 200 kids at that camp for seven weeks. So a lot of these, you know, like a lot of these Ranger fans that send their kids there, you know, they all remember that. And I, I have a relationship with them. Rod, moving forward with this new team, uh, with Coach Quinn, young players, I know you go to a lot of games. What are your general thoughts about this team? And to the listeners right now on them potentially getting back into the playoffs and winning some hockey in the playoffs, what are your general thoughts on that? I'm very excited. You know, at the beginning, it was just an experience, you know, like they're rebuilding. And I didn't expect much. I guess maybe that when they did so well, and then the, to my big surprise, I mean, they bring a banner in here. And then Mika, they become superstars. So they, I didn't know that they were going to have that kind of a year. But they do. And then they got the the second draft choice. You know, they, 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 they're really building the team, you know, to become a, a contender in the future. And I'm excited. Yes. I mean, I love to go to the game because I watch, I watch the young kids play. And, the, you know, they, the de- especially the defense. You know, look at look what they're doing. Now they in one year uh, they came over here and then uh, they really uh, proved themselves. You played in a time where there was obvious it was a much tougher league to play in. You know, <laughs> your battles with the with the Bruins, your battles with the Flyers. I mean, your battles almost you know every night. That's just the way the league was. And I'm wondering for you, you know, more of a you know more of a talent guy, a skill guy. How do you think your game would translate? to this NHL? Well, if I played today, I think I would be okay. I mean, I, I like the fact that they, they, they removed the red line. <laughs> Brad Parker and I had a play, and, and he'd send me on a breakaway like uh, sometime twice a game, you know, because I'd sneak in behind the defense and he'd pass right on the tape, and then I'd go in for a breakaway. Can you imagine now, like, uh, you know, just uh, playing without the – without the red line and everything is is called you know like uh, the infractions and we used to play the Leafs it wasn't right I mean we just uh, they just hook and uh, and hold and it was a different game Larry I mean but you know we the fact is that we played 14 
15 games against each other sort of caused like a rivalry with each team. You had some uh, some bills to pay against, you know, if you did something wrong, you saw the guy the following week, not three months later. But it was, uh, you know, it was challenging. You know, the, the physical aspect of it was challenging because there was always some big guy on the, on every team that, that sort of target targeted me. And, and you know, they, I was checked a lot but you know what I had to play I got through it I think that uh, we had we had that kind of a line with, with Vic and, and John that uh, I think we, we just we over we overcame that well Rod we're going to end it here and I know I'm speaking for everyone all the listeners we thank you for your time we thank you for your insight and we'll see you at the garden and Rod uh, I know I'm speaking for everyone you're a very likable guy and it's always a pleasure being around you so thank you my friend Larry thank you nice talking to you guys meet me right always my next guest played 15 seasons in the nhl he started with the toronto maple leafs in which he won a stanley cup in 1967 then ended up with the new york rangers from 1970 to 77 that's when i came in he's ranked number 54 on the all-time list of New York Rangers in the book, 100 Ranger Greats. Now a color commentator for the New York Rangers radio broadcast. Welcome, my friend, Pete Stemkowski. Pete, welcome to our show. So what is it that you can share with us about Roger Bear, the gag line, and what made that team special where they were a good winning team? I just want to fill people in that are listening. Back in the 60s, you know, these athletes were not treated, especially the hockey players, anywhere near that they're, they're, they're treated today. I mean, when I played in Toronto, we used to take a train everywhere. And I was a rookie, and I would get the upper berth. And I, you know, I'm a, a very light sleeper, so you know what it's like to be on a six-hour train ride and you're awake all night, and you know you'd have to take a cab to the to the games, and you know your meal money was was ten bucks or whatever. So that's back in the '60s with the original six. And then um, you know I, I was with the Detroit Red Wings, having a pretty good time of my uh, of life and playing hockey. I mean, I was fortunate to be playing with Gordy Howe, Alex Delvecchio, and you know I was rooming with Gary Unger at the time, and you know, he and I were single guys and playing in Detroit. Right. I mean, whew. you know, it's like you back with Studio 54 back in the 70s. It's only only we were in Detroit. And then uh, somebody named Ned Harkness from Cornell University decided uh, the Rangers or the Red Wings decided to hire him as their as their coach. And uh, he just didn't like me. He thought my hair was too long, which no way. And just didn't like my style, I guess. And he ended up trading me to the New York Rangers. You know, I often think how a phone call, how a trade, you know, how it decides the fate of your life. Because, you know, I don't get traded to the New York Rangers. I probably, 40 years later, whatever it was, would be living in New York. I could have been traded to Chicago or Montreal or anywhere else. But when I got that, that phone call on that Halloween night. It was Sid Abel over at the other end of the line. And he says, I want you to come in tomorrow morning. I think we've worked out a deal for you. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, why? I'm, you know, Gary Younger and I are young guys. I just came off a 50-point season, and Gary Younger got 42 goals. And uh, Gordy Howe and Alex Delvecchio are older guys pushing to somebody young, but I didn't know where I was going until I walked into the Olympia next day and they says, uh, yeah, we're just finalizing a deal for you to go to the New York Rangers. So I wasn't too happy about it because I was I was pretty pleased with Detroit, the way things were going, but you know, I had no choice and uh, I remember flying, you know, there remember so much flying into New York and the Rangers said that you're going to be flying into LaGuardia Airport and somebody will pick you up at LaGuardia Airport and they'll take you to the men. And You know, back then, when you came to New York and you were a visiting team, Basically, all you saw was an airport, a hotel in Madison. 
Square Garden. And did that little circle and got went back home. So to me, coming to the New York Rangers was, oh my God, you know, lots of traffic, big buildings. You know, I don't know whether I could handle it or not. And I'll always remember when I landed in New York, uh, a fellow named Steve Bernheim, the late Steve Bernheim, picked me up and says, we're going into Manhattan. The guy, it was a Monday. They're having, Monday was a big day back then. That was when guys used to get together, the Tucker Fredricksons, I think Joe Namath would show up once in a while. They get in a place called Hill Vagabondo over on 62nd Street. I think, uh, Ronnie, I think you remember that with the bocce ball and a little of the red grape that we'd have and uh, have a nice time. But the local athletes would get together. And that's where I went. I went, there was Brad Park, Walter Dichuk, a couple other guys. Now, I didn't, you know, when you get traded to a new team, you, you like to maybe know a couple of guys on the team where you feel a little bit more comfortable. Well, I didn't know any of these guys except, you know, competing with them on the ice. And, you know, that's my first taste of New York landing at LaGuardia, uh, going to El Vagabondo and watching them throw that bocce ball down the court and then ending up uh, ending up at Long Beach that particular night. I was single at the time and they told me that I was going to be living with Jim Kerlicky and, and, and another uh, another uh, a single guy and they had three bedrooms and that's where I moved in. So that was my first taste of New York, landing at LaGuardia and heading to Long Beach, New York back in the early 70s and you don't know that that's where I am today. Well, Pete, we're going to get back to El Vagabondo because, yeah, that was my Monday night with Rod Gilbert. I'm going to get back to that in a minute, but we need to back up to Detroit and Gordy Howe. Being in the dressing room with Gordy Howe, how unique and special was that? For our listeners, what was that like to be around Gordy Howe? Well, first of all, he was one of the boys. You know, when you get a superstar like him, he sometimes thinks that he goes his own way. He doesn't have any time for the little guy on the team. The thing that really impressed me about Gordy Howe the most was always, he was never idle. He would never sit on an airplane and close his eyes and go to sleep. He wouldn't sit, you know, in, in, his, in his stall in a, in a locker room and just doze off or anything like that. He was either reading, he was either doing a crossword or he was answering fan mail. That's, that's what amazed me the most about him. I'll tell you a quick story about Detroit. I used to go out for lunch for uh, this, this restaurant at in Dearborn, Michigan, and the owner of the restaurant said, you know, I love Gordie Howe, boy, he is my favorite, blah, blah, blah. And he says, if you could ever bring Gordie Howe in here for lunch, I will pick up the tab for the entire team. Now, I'm saying, Gordie, you know, I go to Gordie, we look at the calendar a couple weeks up the road, I says, Gordie, look at this. If you could make it for this lunch on this particular day, I mean, you know, it'd, be, it'd mean a lot to me. It really would. He looked at me like, hey, what is it? And I, you know, I threw on the date, and, you know, time goes by, and a couple of days before, I says, Gordie, you know, this Monday's coming up. I mean, here's the place, you know, and uh, they show up around one o'clock or so. It'd be great. He looked at me like shrugged his shoulders. Yeah, you know. And so here we go. I tell the guys, let's go. And uh, you know, I always remember that. That's one thing I remember on Gordy Howe. Showed up. That guy we had lunch was on the house. So he was a, he was a real team guy. I mean, he didn't think he was better than anybody else. You know, he was towards the twilight of his career, and he was he was greatly underpaid. He just he just wanted to melt, melt in and be one of the guys. It was certainly a pleasure, you know, for me to, to spend those couple of years, you know, with Gordy Howe in Detroit with, as a Red Wing. Yeah, Peter, I look at the players that you play with in New York and um, some uh, real characters, uh, not only good hockey players, but good team guys, as you say, because that's what creates winning chemistry. Would you say that's what it was like in New York with the guys that were on that team? Not only did you have skill, but you guys, you had a bunch of guys that really got along. Well, yeah, well, you know, you know, Ronnie, the, the big thing is we all lived in Long Beach. Too. Well, I guess 80% of us, at the time I came here to New York in the early 70s, uh, Rod Gilbert and Bob Nevin, uh, they lived in Manhattan, and uh, they would carpool, they would take the car out here to practice in Long Beach, and we all had, here in Atlantic Beach and Long Beach on Long Island, uh, a lot of people would uh, have summer homes out here, very decent furnished homes, and they would close it up around Labor Day, and then the hockey players would move in for the next seven or eight months, and it worked out perfect. We'd uh, carpool it into the city, the wives were close, they would come in at night, we'd go out for lunch, dinner, uh, you know, together after 
to practice here. Uh, it was a really a close knit team, and you know we all had our different personalities. I mean, Rod Schulter was was the guy. He you know, he was going to uh, to the hot spot Studio Fifty Four, and uh, of course Sean Rattel, the, the family man, we used to kid him all the time. He, he he was he just liked to be by himself, and you know he would very rarely go out for lunch with him, and we used to kid him all the time, and you know say Johnny, uh, you know we're going for lunch, but uh, you're probably going home to put your pajamas on, and go yeah 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 yeah, Pete, and uh, you know and Vic Hatfield was you know what, what a great captain, and you know I think of all the times I played in the NHL, I had some good captains. I met George Armstrong in Toronto, I mean Alex Delvecchio in Detroit, I had Marcel Dion when I played it uh, in Los Angeles for the Kings, but I have to say that Vic Hatfield was the best captain I had. He was you could go to him, he had a great sense of humor, he was talented, he was tough, and you know I always I always get. Uh, those three guys, I say, hey, Rod, are you in the Hall of Fame? And yeah. And I say, Jean Rattel, are you in the Hall of Fame? He goes, yeah. And I says, Vic, are you in? And he goes, well, no, no. I says, Vic, you're the guy who should be in because you carried those guys on your shoulders for half a dozen years. So, but we're still in touch. We'll see these guys. Of course, Rod and Johnny Rattel at a couple of functions and, you know, Vic on the phone every so often. And so, then we had Brad Park and Eddie Jockerman. Eddie was probably one of the harder working goalkeepers that I ever had. I, I would compare him to Johnny Bauer when I was in Toronto. And Johnny Bauer, if you wanted to stay after practice and take shots on him, he'd stay for a half an hour. And Eddie Jockerman was like that too. He was he's just a, a, a cool guy. He never seemed to get upset. And, and then of course there was uh, Gilles Villabier, the perfect backup. When he got a chance to play, he was very effective. And I always remember when we won that uh, we won that Bez in a trophy for those two guys. Where did we go? We went to El Vagabondo and they picked up the taps. So we had, we had a list of characters throughout Rod feeling a pretty serious guy and of course Carr came into the uh, into the picture. He was a highly touted guy. Came in from uh, I believe St. Louis in a trade. And always remember the story. Gene was a little naive about things about his geography. And I remember him landing in New York and somebody driving him from the airport to the city. And his comment just like, "Here we are now. Where's the White House?" That was uh, that was the characters. You know, I have a little something about all of Teddy Irvin, of course. Chris Jericho, if uh, hockey fans may may recall, is a, a pretty famous wrestler uh, at the time, and uh, he was like three or four years old. And uh, you know, he'd come into the locker room during the during practices and stuff we'd be rolling around the floor with him and putting him on our knee and, and saying to Teddy now boy if Chris ever he could pick me up and throw me and spot slab me now and uh, he's become famous and you know Bill Fairburn uh, was from Brandon a solid guy and Walt Wallace was another one he was uh, just I would say of all the guys I played and I was close to 15 years in the NHL probably one of the strongest guys on skate and I have to practice against him scrimmage and when he got the puck he just couldn't knock him off the puck and uh, we had a list of characters we all got along very very well and uh, I would have to say that the one regret that I have in my NHL career is that we never won a cup here because there was no finer gentleman and uh, I, I know you got to, got to know him and Emil the Cat Francis one of the real quality guys uh, in, in the game itself uh, he's suffering now medically down, down in Florida but uh, my one hope would have been that we could have won a Stanley Cup for him we didn't but uh, had some great years and a lot of stories and uh, I, I think about those times a lot it was, it was a lot of fun. Pete it's interesting you mentioned that because Rod Gilbert we had on never got to win a cup either but you did get to win a cup in Toronto was that kind of a load off your shoulders when you look back at your career that you at least got one in general it may not have been with the Rangers but you got a cup and you could walk away saying you were Stanley Cup champion yeah yeah, yeah you know you're right you know it, it came after you're right after the career you know when you look at some famous athletes I mean some people in football I mean you know up in Buffalo he never won a Super Bowl was a great quarterback up there and uh, Dan Marino in Miami is a, you know he never won a Super Bowl and look at some great hockey players that never won cups so yeah 67 was was pretty famous uh, that was that was just a great year <laughs> so 
you know, with the Frank Mahovlich, Dave Keon, Terry Sachik, Punch Imlach. I mean, uh, the way we were treated back then, and the, that was the year when the Players Association started to form. So any of these guys today in 2020 who are, who are right now talking about getting back to the season of the PA, the Players Association, and all the dealings, you know, they could thank guys like us back in the 60s because we defied ownership and Eagles headed it and, and started the Players Association back 53 years ago, and that's it's become what it has become. But yeah, winning that Stanley Cup in 67 was, first of all, we had a very old team, and I think if you look it up, it's probably one of the, probably the oldest team to ever win the Stanley Cup, and we were playing against the uh, Montreal Canadiens, and Jean Beliveau, and uh, Yvonne Cornelier, Kump Worsley, Terry Harper. It was, it was a much more talented team than us, and we were going back, uh, it was Expo 67, this big festivity in, in Canada that year, and I always remember Punch Emma, like our coach said, there's no damn way they're taking this Cup back to Montreal, you know, for in June for this celebration. We were underdogs, but we ended up winning the Stanley Cup, and that's certainly uh, one of the thrills of my hockey career. Pete, I need to take you back to New York with our listeners who are following this team. One of the masterminds of the team is Glenn Sather, and you had an opportunity to play with Glenn. Now, you never mentioned him in the character of guys that you played with. We all know him as a coach, manager, president. How would you describe Glenn as a teammate? Yeah, well, Glenn wasn't with me too long. Uh, the, the first thing I remember about Glenn Sather is, is uh, a couple of weeks before the trade, he was with Pittsburgh, and he and I got into a fight. Uh, I wouldn't call it you know, one of the all-time greats. There was a couple guys took a couple punches and grabbed each other and fell to the ground. And then a few weeks later, he gets traded to the New York Rangers. You know, immediately when you get traded, you, you go to the new team and, you, you know, leave the family behind until you get settled in and before they can join us. He ended up living with me for a couple of weeks back, uh, back here in Long, in Long Beach. And I still kid him, you know, from the time he was, I say, you know, Slats, you still owe me for a long-distance phone call way back then. But, you know, uh, when it comes to Glenn Sather, it's, uh, he was an agitator. He was a, a fourth-line guy. He'd be yapping from the bench. And, you know, he, he reminded me, I don't know, a little bit of maybe a Sean Avery kind of a disposition kind of guy, you know, and uh, be a heckler and really get on the, on the nerves. Had some talent, too. I remember when Teddy Irvin went down and he came and played with me and uh, Bruce McGregor. He was putting some points up on the board. And the one story I remember about Glenn Sather was we shared a locker. We shared actually a, a medical room with the New York Knicks at the time. And there was uh, uh, the Knicks locker room and then our locker room. And in between the two, obviously, was the medical room. And they decided to put a safe in that medical room because, you know, when you, when you get undressed, you keep your valuables in your pants and, you, you know, your wallet, your car keys, whatever, and some guys felt, you know, they, they'd feel a lot better if they could put their valuables in a safe, and uh, we did it, we put our stuff in there, and, and it's a true story, I think only Frank Pace, our trainer, and maybe one other guy knew the combination to that safe, uh, to that safe. And, and lo and behold, they put it in, and about a half hour later there, it was open again, and we said, what the hell happened, and it was Glenn Sater, and uh, to this day, I'm still flat, so how did you open that damn thing, and he's, he's not, he just, you know, we get a little wink from him, but uh, I just want to say about Glenn Sater, uh, coming into the New York uh, and as far as our alumni is concerned, and I think uh, you're around, Ron can vouch for it. He's, he's a class guy. And he, uh, very important when, when he came and became, you know, the general manager of the team. So one of the important things for this organization is to have contact with the, with the alumni. And I know that he wants us to be there, be in attendance at games. And I know there was a couple of years ago when I didn't go to a few games, I got a call. I say, you know, where you been? You know, what's the matter with you? We we have tickets for the alumni, and uh, we get paid for our appearances. And you know, we, I talked about Emil Francis being one of the one of the real good guys on the team, and I, I can say the same for Glenn Sather. Nothing but good things for him, and uh, and he's 
been a, just a tremendous asset for the New York Rangers. So, Pete, uh, in our discussions the last couple of weeks, uh, last month or so, uh, Larry Brooks, the beat writer for The Post, has been talking about Brad Park and how he believes he deserves to have his jersey retire at Medicine Square Garden. What are your thoughts on that? Ron, what am I going to say? If I say no, he's going to hate me. <laughs> <laughs> If I say yes, it's not going to mean anything. So uh, that's between Brad Park and you know management. I know Rod Gresson, buddy. He wants to be up there too. There's two number nines, I guess. There's the uh, Adam Grace and uh, and Andy Baskey. You know, I played briefly with Brad. He was a great player. I mean, does he deserve to be up there? There's probably half a dozen other guys deserve to be up there also. I mean, uh, so I uh, like I said, if I don't think he belongs up there, I'm probably going to get a phone call from Brad Park next week and say, what's you know, what's, what's your problem? So. Yeah, he was good, and uh, that's a decision that they're going to have to make in the front office. Uh, how about putting a Ron Dugay jersey up there? Yeah, well, we're not going to go that far. Uh, I guess a suggestion that I like from Larry Brooks is that why don't we just have a Ranger Hall of Fame room? That way you can have more players celebrated in that room, like yourself. And so that makes a lot of sense. You know, I think when you retire, you know, to me, hockey's a team sport. And it's like, you know, when people ask me, you know, how great was Gordy Howe, when I played with him, he just seemed to be one of the guys. He, would, he just did a little bit more things than the rest of us. But I, you know, and when Sean would tell him, they scored goals. But, you know, if he didn't have a supporting cast there, we would never have been as successful. So, you know, when you go, how do you signal one guy out, you know, put a number 18 because, you know, probably other guys had, you know, just as good success as that. So, you know, I guess it would be a thrill, I mean, to have it up there. But uh, a Hall of Fame room would be nice. I think they got one in Minnesota. I, I, I know they have one in Boston. I think uh, something similar to that. So, you know what, Ron? Why don't you and I, you, you think of it. I mean, let's put let's put that in the suggestion box to see what, uh, see maybe our buddy J.D. can do something about that. You know, there's another one of the characters. John Davidson got a chance to play with him, too. So, we, uh, you know, I remember with him coming, coming in, and, you know, him and I, uh, him and I used to have this uh, this weight problem. He, uh, he tends to put on a couple and you know being a being, being a polish descent you know i always blame my mom for any kind of weight problem i've had in my life because you know when you come from an old-fashioned ukrainian slash polish family you know it's eat 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 sunday whatever we put in front of you you finish it all you know there's no there was no leftovers at my house there's no doggy bags so it's always kid each other okay it's weigh-in time on friday what do you weigh what do you weigh so we uh, even now we see each other we look at each other you know it's uh how's how's the weight how's the weight so uh, he was a fun guy, and I, I enjoyed certainly playing those those couple of years I did with John Davidson. He was he was one of the boys certainly, and I'm, I'm wishing him nothing but good luck now with, as as president of the New York Rangers. If we're believing the season's going to start, however way they do it, more than likely it's going to be four, 24 teams. It'll be a playoff format. The Rangers are going to be involved in that with this young team and Coach Quinn. How do you see them doing right out of the gate with the pressure of playing playoff hockey with this young team? Well, you know everybody's in the same boat. I mean. Uh... Uh, you know, Ron, I, I, these guys are professionals making five, six million dollars a year. So I, I'm sure that they are, first of all, keeping themselves in, in pretty decent shape. And, you know, they're finding ice somewhere and they can do their off, you know, off ice uh, training. So uh, we're going to need certainly, uh, I don't know, week, 10 days. We're talking maybe a couple of weeks of training camp. And you know, how are they going to do? I mean, you know, I don't know. You know, as far as predictions, you know, what weathermen and gypsies, that's that's what they do the best. But, uh, you know, we, we got some, you know, is uh, Panarin going to come back to what he was? I mean, you know, 95, what he had, 
95 points when we cut this thing off. And, and of course, Mika Zibanej had over 40 goals. I mean, these guys are going to have to lead the way. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a starting line for everybody. So, uh, you know, I don't know. It seems with the, you know, you know, Ron, every day I, I pick up the newspaper and there's a new, maybe the NHL is going to try this or maybe we're going to go four divisions. Maybe the Rangers will be and maybe they won't. But, you know, it's, you know, whether this year or not, I'm not sure, but I think the future is good. Two young goalkeepers, you know, and Shisirkin and um, Georgi, both in their mid-20s. You know, you got the Panarins, uh, what, 28 years old, the Banajaks, uh, 25, and you look at, you know, D'Angelo, Fox, Bustevich, uh, Capocacco. I mean, these are all young, 20, 18, 19, or 19 years old guys. So the, the, the future is bright. They, you know, they stick together and, you know, try to keep the puck out of their own, uh, out of their own net. T- tough enough, I always say they got to get stronger defensively back at the blue line. I think physical... I think the physical aspect of the game, back of the blue line, I think that has to be important, be important for the Rangers. Offensively, I mean, I mean you look at Fox, you look at, uh, you know, D'Angelo, you look at Jacob Tuba. These guys offensively are great. They join the rush, they put points on the board, but when you're, you're expounding that much energy one way going offensively, sometimes, you know, it takes a little bit out of you defensively. So I think that's one part that they're going to have to strengthen physically, you know, back of the blue line. But the future's bright. Uh, what's going to happen with this, this crazy uh, season issue? Sure, I, I have no idea, but I don't know, Ron. But you know, you're down in Florida enjoying the, the beach. Well, not the beaches yet, but the sunshine and everything. So I'm sure you're super crazy like us, and, and we're all we're all looking forward to, to getting back into it. So I hope it's uh, it's sooner as opposed to later, because uh, you know, let's play some hockey here. I'm getting tired of looking at the uh, 1988 Stanley Cup Finals on on the on the television in uh, 1971. One, I want some live action. Let's get it quick. So you know, I'm hoping for that. All right, P. We're going to end it at that, okay? Because I think we're all in agreement that we're missing hockey and we're probably going to hear something within a week. Hopefully they're going to be able to settle on something between the players and the owners. And by the end of July, August, we're going to see hockey again. So, yeah, well, listen, you know, Rod, we'll, do, we'll go right from the beach. We'll, we'll, we'll shake off that long beach stand on our shoes, you know, take our bathing suits on, put our shirt and tie on and go to Madison Square Garden and watch a hockey game in July. I feel like I'll, I'll look forward to that. I look forward to seeing you there. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Very insightful. I love it, Pete. Thanks. Anytime, Ron. Take care of yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, we ask that you direct your attention to Center Ice for a special presentation. That's a wrap for episode 24 of Up in the Blue Seas. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for producing the show. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen. If using Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars and write a nice review, please. And make sure to follow me on Twitter at RonDuGate10. Thanks for joining us, folks. Stay safe. Chat with you all next week.